0: What a joy and privilege it is to kick off 2022 together. I am excited uh, to see what the Lord has in store for us, and even more grateful that He allows us to experience uh, this coming year together as family. So, several months ago, I mentioned in a sermon that my mother has severe glaucoma, and so she's completely blind in one eye and 95% blind in the other, so she essentially can't see, and yet she still insists on living alone. Um, Although she's hardly alone, as my sister's with her most of the day. And so I was over at my mother's house a few weeks ago and I asked her how difficult it was for her to get around uh, whenever my sister wasn't with her. And my mother said, no, it wasn't too difficult. And then she said this, I know where I'm going because I already know where everything is. I know where I'm going because I already know where everything is. This weekend, I'd like to begin the new year by casting a vision for us for 2022. January is when many people set goals or resolutions as they strive to make the most of the year that is coming. And in the same way, I'd like to cast a vision for us as a church so that we can make the most of the year that is has come. And I've had the privilege of serving on staff this past year and having served as an elder for the past 15, and so in that time, I've really had a chance to see the people and ministries of this church up close. And you know, it's, it's, uh, I, almost, I know where everything is to some degree. And from that, I want to cast a vision for where I think we should go based on where I know where everything is as a church. Now I do this recognizing ultimately our year and our plans are in God's sovereign hands. The Bible says, in their hearts, humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. At the end of the day, only God controls the future, no matter the plans that we set. I trust that the message that the Lord has placed on my heart to share with you today will be used to accomplish his purposes in our lives for this coming year. And so this morning, I'd like to challenge us to do two things in 2022. One, to seek Christ more deeply to seek Christ more deeply and two, to seek community more fully, to seek community more fully. So to get to those challenges, I want to spend the first 10 or 15 minutes studying this passage found in Acts chapter 11. I want us to examine what's going on in these verses and then use them as a jumping off point to get to those challenges. So we're going to look together at Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 26. This is what the Bible says. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. With steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. This is the word of the Lord. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is such a striking sentence. But as people who identify as Christians, we ought to explore how it was at Antioch where that label Christian was, became a thing. What does this passage teach us about what it means to call ourselves and to identify as Christian? And what impact might that have for us in 2022? So some context is needed on where we are historically, right? So the book of Acts describes the growth of the early church after the resurrection of Jesus. And the events of chapter 11 occur about 12 years after the resurrection. So by the time we get to this passage, The church, the early church had been gathering together for more than a decade. Now, verse 19 tells us that the early church was now scattered, right? The Bible says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now, the story of Stephen is told in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen was a leader in the early church and uh, one of the first people to to be chosen to serve as a deacon. He oversaw uh, distribution of resources to widows. And Stephen was such a force in the early church and the way that he lived his life for Jesus that he drew the attention of the religious leaders and religious authorities in Jerusalem. And so they brought him before the ruling council and they ended up stoning him to death. Now the religious authorities were so threatened by the early church and now this murder of Stephen, they're emboldened. And so they began persecuting followers of Jesus even more severely. Bible says, and there arose on that day, right after the persecution of Stephen, uh, stoning of Stephen. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Here's a map of the era being mentioned here in Acts chapter 11. So the early church, it went from being completely centralized in Jerusalem to scattered all the way to the island of Cyprus and then north through Gentile territories of Phoenicia and Syria, all the way to the city of Antioch. And that's where we are at the beginning of this passage, right? The early church was being persecuted, and they scattered. Now, verse 19 tells us as they scattered, they began to witness to other Jewish people who were living in these areas. Now, at that time, their evangelism was focused primarily to other Jewish people, um, primarily because of the separation culturally between Jews and Gentiles. And so they stayed in their comfort zones, right? witnessed to people they were most familiar with. But as time went on and as these Christian communities grew in these Gentile areas, the Bible says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that means the Greeks that were living in Antioch, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So at some point, again, as these communities matured, uh, converts from these communities came to Antioch and they began preaching to the Greeks living in Antioch, the Hellenists. They were willing to step out of their comfort zones. And as they did, and as they preached the gospel to Gentiles, God allowed their witness to flourish. Now, so successful was this evangelism to Gentiles that news of it reached the believers who were still in Jerusalem during this period of persecution. The Bible says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now Barnabas was another leader in the early church and he goes to see what's happening in Antioch and he sees God's grace over this church community. God's doing amazing things. And Barnabas exhorted them to do what they were doing, to continue doing what they were doing with steadfast purpose. Now I'm gonna come back to this phrase Steadfast purpose in a few minutes. But essentially, he's like, whatever you're doing, keep doing that for Jesus. Then he goes against the Apostle Paul, and both of them come and live in uh, Antioch for a year, discipling them. The Bible says they met with the church, taught a great many people. And again, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. The word Christian is the Greek word christianos, It means a follower of Christ, christianos, Christ, Christ, you can see it. But if you actually look and study more the underlying underlying construction of that Greek word christianos, it more literally means a person of Christ or a person like Christ, right? So much like Christ is what that label means. Now, what most people don't know is that that label Christian was initially meant as an insult, that wasn't something they were calling themselves, that's what they were being called. Now up until that point in time, for 12 years, the believers in the early church had referred to themselves a different way. They'd been calling themselves the followers of the way. In Acts chapter 9, before his conversion, the apostle Paul, he's looking for Christians to persecute, and the Bible says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's how Paul referred to Christians, those who belong to the way. So people people of the way or followers of the way, that's what the early church called themselves. Now why they called themselves that has been heavily debated. Some people think it has to do with Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life whatever the origin of that term that's what the early believers called themselves now who was calling them christian then well antioch was a gentile city in a gentile territory and the population consisted primarily of greeks and at that time it was common for greeks to insult people by associating them with the name that the person that they said oh you're most like this that's the name we associate with you so Example, people who were loyal to the Roman Emperor Nero Augustus were mockingly called, oh, you guys are Augustinians. In in college, I knew someone named Alex. And one day we were having lunch with another friend, and my friend looks at Alex and he says, you know, you look like a shorter, stockier, homelier version of President John F. Kennedy. And for the next three years, every time we saw Alex, we said, sup JFK, right? that's, That's the sentiment of the term Christian being used here. But the remarkable thing again is these people in Antioch, in this church, were so identified with Christ that that's the name associated with them. Little Christians, little Christs of Christ. And again, Christian was initially insulting, but at some point the early church chose to proudly claim that name. The Apostle Peter wrote this Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. This is the only verse outside of the book of Acts in the Bible where the word Christian appears. And so in this verse, Peter was essentially saying, look, hey, if people are persecuting you for your faith and even mockingly calling you Christian, don't be ashamed of that label. Be proud to identify with Christ. Bring God glory in being identified with Christ in the way that you live for him. And so when they started receiving the name Christian, the believers at Antioch were proudly identifying with Jesus. It wasn't an insult. It was a badge of honor to be identified with Jesus. It said they belonged to Christ. They were of Christ. They were like Christ. That's a badge of honor. Now, you have to understand, back then, identifying, with, as, identifying as a Christian, identifying with Christ, that's a, that was a monumental decision. Right? To identify as a Christian back then meant giving up your prior identity, your faith, your culture, often your friends and family, your community. You were giving up everything to identify as a Christian. And honestly, the cost of identifying as a Christian is still steep in many places in our current world i mean, ask any of our missionaries to Muslim countries like Marlene, and they'll tell you how steep the cost it is for converts to identify with Jesus. Church planter Paul Davis put it this way. When individuals convert, their communities often feel betrayed. To embrace the triune God as Lord is to repudiate all other Lord's identities and systems. And this decision in the eyes of the world amounts to treason. This is the reality of the world we find ourselves in 2022. That if we choose to claim our identity with Christ, to claim to be called Christians like the church in Antioch, that if we choose to faithfully live out a biblical worldview, it will, be, it will make waves with the culture at large. So where am I going with all this? Family, I want to call you and challenge you to identify proudly with Christ. To live for Christ, to identify with him in such a way, it makes waves in the culture around us. My prayer is that this church would live in such a way that the very gates of hell would tremble in fear and rage. And so how do we do this? I want to highlight two things about this church at Antioch that, hope, that I hope characterize us in 2022. 2022. And so, my first challenge again is that we ought to seek Jesus more deeply. To seek Jesus more deeply. Stephen was martyred because of how he felt he followed Jesus. The early church were persecuted because of how they followed Jesus. Did persecution stop them from following Jesus? Nope. They scattered abroad and kept living for Jesus, converted other people to Jesus. Barnabas visited Antioch. What did he tell them? Keep living for Jesus. And so single-minded in living for Christ were the believers at Antioch that they were mockingly called little Christ's Christians. Let's come back now to that phrase, steadfast purpose. The Bible tells us Barnabas ex- exhorted them to continue to doing what they were doing with steadfast purpose. Now, this is how the NIV translates it that Barnabas was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Now the reason the NIV equates steadfast purpose with all of their hearts is because that phrase steadfast purpose in the Greek is several words, but one of those words is the Greek word cardia, from which we get the word "cardiac," meaning related to the heart. And so they're the same. And that's what Barnabas' encouragement was, right? Keep doing what you're doing with all your heart. Now, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's more than just the organ in our body that pumps blood. No. When the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about uh, the center of our deepest passions, the center of our deepest desires and emotions. And Barnabas is telling the church in Antioch, to pursue and passionately, deeply pursue what they were doing for Jesus. So too should we who identify as Christians today, like the believers in Antioch, seek Jesus with all our heart, with everything that is in us. What might that look like for us in 2022? Well, often the goals and resolutions we set for a new year are related to things like our physical health, right? We, we want to lose a few pounds. We want to change it to a healthier diet. Or sometimes they're about our financial health, right? we want to get out of debt or save money. And these goals are great to have, right? We strongly encourage people to set goals around physical and financial health. But our primary focus as Christians ought to be growing our relationship with Christ. That's where our primary goals should be. Pastor J.D. Greer put it this way. A Christianity that does not have as its primary focus the deepening of passions for God is a false Christianity. Our primary aim for 2022 ought to be that we would end the year more in love with Jesus than when we started the year. That we would look more like Jesus at the end of the year. More like Jesus in our thoughts and words and attitudes and behaviors. That's the goal. And so as you consider goals and resolutions for this coming year, I'd like to encourage us to ask ourselves a few central guiding questions. Is Jesus the most important thing in my life? If not, what is? What things are getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus? Is it what I read, watch, or listen to? Who I hang out with? What do I need to start doing or do more consistently to grow my relationship with Jesus Is reading the Bible more, praying more, discipling someone. Again, these are only just a few guiding questions and our focus. Listen, our focus, we should not be focused on how we can improve our faith. That's not the focus. Our focus should be how do we make our faith in Jesus the central thing in our life. That's the focus. So in the spirit of transparency, let me, I'm going to share how I've been processing these questions as I prepare for 2022. Is Jesus the most important thing in my life? Yes. Although I will share that one of the temptations for those serving in ministry is that ministry becomes the focus rather than Jesus, right, Just because I serve a church doesn't mean that Jesus is my center unless I make him my center and something I just need to keep front and center. What things are getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus? Now, this is going to sound odd, but, but to some degree, it's ministry. For example, I, I spent more time reading and studying God's word in 2021 than I did in any other year of my life. But largely, the reading and studying I did of God's word was for sermons or for seminary papers, not because I wanted to know God better. And so one of my goals for 2022 is to ensure that I have at least 21 minutes a day of God's word that's not connected to, connected to ministry work or seminary. What do I need to start doing or more, do more consistently that would grow my relationship with Jesus? Uh, I shared this goal at the nine o'clock. My wife said, preach it. But in 2022, I need to do a better job of taking a Sabbath. Sabbath. Um, I confess to you, family, there were weeks in 2021 where I broke one of the Ten Commandments by failing to honor God by taking a Sabbath. That's not good. And it often meant that I was coming to Jesus tired and praying for his strength to sustain me. And in this year, I need to come to him fully energized, not just needing him to get me through the day. So this is just a small glimpse of how I'm processing these questions I'm still trying to figure out a fuller list of goals and resolutions. But you know, for me, it starts with increasing my time in God's word and, and, and honoring, the, honoring the Lord and taking a Sabbath every week. And your goals are going to look different. Now, your goals are going to, everyone's goals are going to look different. Now, obviously, we recommend everyone set goals around Bible reading and prayer. You can go back to some of our earlier sermons. Just go on our website and find our sermon archives, and you'll be able to see you know, Pastor Jim always did a terrific job every year of preaching on goals and the types of goals you should set. But listen, church, at the end of the day, there's no universal checklist of behaviors that says, oh, this person's a good Christian because he does X, Y, and Z. Right? And such a perspective comes from a works-oriented mindset. No, and so what we're encouraging again is that you would just commit time this week with the Lord, pondering these questions, wrestling with these questions, and asking the Lord to, to guide you in how you respond to them. And also if you didn't listen to Pastor Mark's sermon last week by the way I'd encourage you to do so. He in that sermon he's talking about encountering Jesus in 2022 and he shared this prayer of encountering Jesus. Um, these prayers that prayer is on these little cards that are on the bistro tables as you exit the worship center. And I'd encourage you to actually read this prayer as part of that time with the Lord as you're wrestling with these questions. But God's desire is that we would know him more deeply. God says this to the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, with steadfast purpose. Now listen, at the end of the day, as Christians, our goal is not self-improvement. Our goal is abiding in Christ more deeply. Right? We don't need more goals. We need more Jesus. So let us seek Christ with steadfast purpose, with all our heart in 2022 because one of the best ways we make waves with the culture is by knowing Christ more deeply. And my second challenge is this, that we ought to seek community more fully. Seek community more fully. Now, the dictionary defines community as a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. You know what, everyone seeks community in some form. You know, people feel a sense of community when they root for the same sports team. People connecting community through their hobbies, right? You find community at the Y or your running club or your bowling league. People join civic organizations like Kiwanis or Rotary to find community. And when I talk about community, that's not the community I'm referring to. When I talk about community in this message, I'm talking about biblical community. And this is biblical community. We're sharing a definition we shared in our fall This Is Us series, but this is biblical community. Biblical community is where we build, experience, and deepen relationships between people. Build, experience, and deepen relationships. It's where we see discipleship, fellowship, and congregational care really lived out. And so this is the difference between Christian community and secular community, right? We can find friendship and a sense of belonging in secular community. People do that all the time. But in biblical community we not only find friendship and a sense of belonging, we also have the opportunity to deepen our faith. Because it's in Christian community where we can disciple one another. It's in Christian community where we have opportunities to live out gospel love. In Christian community, we can deepen our faith. That's the difference. And even more, when we fully engage in biblical community, it's one of the ways God uses to draw us closer to him and make us more like him. And so really, by accomplishing the second challenge of seeking community, it makes us better able to complete that first challenge of seeking Christ more deeply. We do both. Now there are several types of community. Right? You have the global Christian community of all God's people all around the, the world. You have the local church, so LC3 is a church community and then you have your smaller relational environments with other brothers and sisters. And my challenge is for us to seek community across all of those types. Now, this challenge, it's not gonna come easy because community doesn't come easy for us. For those of us who grew up in the United States, you and I are products of living in a Western culture. And Western culture is an individualistic culture. It means we were taught by our culture to value the the individual over the greater good, right? To seek the self over seeking others. And historically, that's not how religion's ever been practiced, especially Christianity. For example, Judaism was a community-centered faith. Back then, for Jewish people, the synagogue, that was the center of your life. Their faith community impacted every other aspect of their lives. To be banished from from the faith community back then was the worst imaginable punishment. And yet we live in a culture where people church hop and go to church when it feels it's convenient for them. But what we see in the early church is that Christianity was meant to be a community-minded faith, and it was lived that way. In Acts chapter 2, at the start of the early church, we read this. And they, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is what the church did from the very beginning. Lived in community with each other, taught each other, discipled together, prayed together, ate together, worshipped together, were in each other's homes together, together together. Christianity from the beginning was a faith meant to be lived in community. After they were persecuted and scattered, what did they do? Stop living in community? No. Actually, church persecution was the best thing for the church because it allowed them to create new communities all over the place. And all the letters in the New Testament were written to Christian communities. The right? Book of Romans was written for the faith community in Rome. Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, written for the church in Corinth. And what we see in Antioch is a community of believers living in such a way they were called Christ Christians. And this is not just a relic of the early church, by the way. Throughout history, even today, and around the world, what we see, even in oppressive countries, the underground church finds a way to gather and to support each other. This is what Christians have always done. Gather together in community. You know, I look back at 2021, some of my favorite moments of the year, of everything, were moments in community here at Lake City. I think of the baton passing ceremony in June. I think of the harvest carnival, the December worship night, the 11.15 p.m. candlelight Christmas Eve service. I mean, being in community, it creates special moments. And so just as we did for seeking Jesus more deeply, I'd like to encourage us, to ask ourselves a few guiding questions as we consider goals and resolutions for this year around seeking community. How important have I made church in my life? If it's not the center, then why not? What needs to change in my life to make my church community a higher priority? Is it my schedule? Is it how I steward my resources? Is it my heart attitude? How can I use my gifts, talents, resources, and abilities to impact my church community? Because you and I were given these things, right? Gifts, talents, resources, abilities. We were given these things by God to be used for other people. Now here too, look, there's no universal checklist of behaviors that says, oh, this person is fully engaged in community. Now certainly we'd recommend setting goals around things like consistently attending church By the way, if you're here at church and it was because one of your New Year's resolutions was to be at church more regularly, I applaud you. Thank you for that. But I'd like us to encourage you, I'd like to encourage us in two specific ways as it relates to community. And here's the first. I'd encourage us to set a goal around participating in at least one ministry of the church. Ministries where we can live out some of the things that we believe in church. And all of our ministries are restarting over the next few weeks Uh, after a holiday break. Um, If you're new to the church or if you're not new to the church but you just didn't engage in ministry in the fall, you can still engage in ministry even now. So this week we posted on social media and we have these printouts at the Welcome Center in the Gathering area. It's a calendar of some of the ministries, not all of them, some of the ministries um, that are starting over these next few weeks but all of our ministries are again restarting. Awana, our young adults ministry, men's ministries, women's ministries, all of these things are starting again over these next few weeks. Um, So you can always call the church office or email us and we'd be happy to share with you uh, when these things are starting. I would like to highlight again something that Pastor Mark highlighted in announcements, which is um, next Monday, January 10th, uh, is the start of Perspectives. We are hosting it here at Lake City this spring. And if you really, again, wanna change your heart and mindset around what missions really is, you're gonna wanna come to this class. There's a table in the gathering area for more information around that, but it's something we highly recommend folks attend. Uh, If you're relatively new to the church and just need a little bit more information about who we are, I'd like to highlight that next Sunday, January 9th, during the 11 o'clock service hour, we have our starting point class. Now our starting point class is, we do this every second Sunday of the month uh, during the 11 o'clock service hour. And it's just a way for newcomers to really learn more about Lake City. The other thing is on Saturday morning, February 26th, that's the next membership class where you can even dig into even deeper what our beliefs ministries are at this church. But again, listen, there's so many ways for you to plug in. That's a lot. Um, If you're not sure how to plug in, just contact us at the church. One of our staff members would love to spend time with you. and and talk you through how you can be more involved with Lake City. Now, community is more than just being part of a ministry or attending events, though. Honestly, at the end of the day, biblical community is about building deep, authentic relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, living alongside other believers. Authentic relationships are where we can be vulnerable with one another and share areas of our lives where we're struggling. Authentic relationships are where we can share our sins and seek accountability and support to overcome them. Authentic relationships are where we can have disagreements with other brothers and sisters and afterwards love each other with the kind of love and kindness and forgiveness modeled by Christ. That's what real, biblical, authentic Christian community looks like. And in that vein, I want to make one last exhortation to us. Over the last 18 months, churches across the country dealt with the internal tension of church attendees arguing with each other over many things. From issues of race and racial justice, to politics, to masks and vaccines, and brothers and sisters within the same faith community spent far too much time debating and criticizing each other, and in some cases, breaking fellowship. And this church wasn't immune to these tensions. I mean, there still are relationships within the body that are still strained or fractured because of past conversations. And listen, family, when we engage in debates in an unloving and unforgiving manner, then we're not living out the call of Scripture. We're not. In Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul addressed similar tensions between brothers and sisters who were debating over issues they felt were important. The Bible says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now in this passage, Paul was speaking to Christians who were debating the Mosaic dietary laws and ceremonial festival days. And these were issues that people were deeply passionate about. Issues they believed were critical matters of faith, much like the topics that have divided churches these past two years. And you know what Paul's instruction to the church was? Paul's instruction to the church was not, let me wade in here and decide who's right and who's wrong. That wasn't his instruction to the church. His instruction to the church was to change their mindset on the manner in which they were having these debates. His command was not to judge one another especially over matters that were disputable matters, matters that do not rise to the level of core doctrine. And family, so much of the hot-button topics that we've been passionately debating these last two years are disputable matters. And there are issues in which brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be able to disagree in love. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Bible is saying that you and I, we're co-heirs of eternity. And as co-heirs of eternity, this high calling demands us to pursue unity. Unity with behaviors that represent those four things, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. The hallmark of real, authentic Christian community is how well brothers and sisters can love each other despite our differences, despite our differences in opinion. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Family, we're going to disagree on so many things. But as co-heirs of eternity, what demonstrates our love for one another is the manner in which we disagree. The way that we interact with each other, the way that we speak with each other, in person and on social media, those things have to convey grace, love, humility, and patience. And when we do, that's when we look more and more like Jesus. Because here's the thing, when we don't do those things, the results are dire. Because that surrounding culture, the watching world, dismisses what we teach about Jesus. Theologian Leslie Newbegin noted this, How can the church declare with any authority the restoring and reconciling power of the gospel of Jesus and there's too little reconciliation and too much hostility within the body that claims allegiance to his reconciling power. Convicting. For Christian community to have any impact on our culture, we need to live out what we preach on love and forgiveness and grace. We must. So what might this look like in practice? Well, in our culture, when people enter an argument, they believe their position is unequivocally right and all other opinions are wrong, and this is the final word. But if we live out biblical humility, then we come into discussions recognizing our own weaknesses and biases and failings and imperfect knowledge. In our culture, the loudest, most passionate voice dominates the argument, both in person and on social media. But if we live out biblical gentleness, it means our speech is filled with kindness and grace and love in person and on social media. In our culture, the end goal is to win an argument and to be right. But if we live out biblical love, it means our end goal is the deepening of relationship. That we put people first rather than trying to score debate points. Family, this is a countercultural way to live in community. And listen, that doesn't mean that the goal is, not, is to avoid important discussions completely. That's not the goal. We need to have important conversations. The goal is that when we have these conversations, to not look like the world. That's the goal. The goal is to look like Jesus when we have these discussions. This is what community looks like. Now these are just a few examples, but the Bible calls us to live self-sacrificially, to put others first, because that's what Jesus did for us. The Bible says, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Family, listen, for us to be light amidst the darkness of this culture point people to jesus that we need to live community in such a way that they see the reconciling power of the gospel of christ this isn't a lot to process a heavy message for the first weekend of the year i know but here's the thing you and i live in an increasingly secular world and the longer that we allow to just stay in our comfort zones and we remain in the comfort of this world and the surrounding culture, then we will g- grow blind. We will be as blind to the truth as the culture is. And so we need to resolve this very day, to grow in our knowledge of Christ, to grow in our commitment to community. And if we do that, and if we do that well, it will make ways to the culture. The world will take notice, and all of hell will tremble. Evangelist G. Campbell Morgan noted this, the church did the most when the church was the least like the world. Our commitment in 2022 needs to be so different. The Bible says we're called to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. This is the goal, to shine with the light of Christ. Join me in seeking Christ more deeply in seeking community more fully, in proudly identifying with Christ as a Christian. letting God be our vision, and all glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, that is the goal, that you desire us to live more like you, that that's what it means to be a Christian, to live in such a world, a way that the world takes notice. And Father, that's my prayer for 2022, that we would live lives that demand an explanation. That explanation is Jesus Christ. Give us the strength and faith to be able to do that, all for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.